Hi, friend. I don't know what brought you to Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, but if I had to guess, it was probably your own pain story. In fact, maybe you recently found us in the work that we do because you're going through some kind of trauma, tragedy, or major life transition. Uh, maybe you've recently gotten the phone call with the unexpected diagnosis, or you've lost a loved one, or you found out about your spouse's sexual betrayal. Maybe your grief is extremely fresh, and right now you're wondering, well, what, what do I even do? How do I move forward? What, what am I supposed to do right now? Listen, I, I've been there. And we know how the early days after loss or receiving the diagnosis or getting that unexpected news or learning about a betrayal or whatever it is you're facing, we know that life in those moments can be extremely disorienting and, and difficult. It's hard to think about anything but how to survive from minute to minute in this, uh, you know, I almost hate this term, but in this new normal. We want to help you as you enter into life, uh, that especially when it takes this different direction than what you've ever imagined. Now, we have a course called Pain to Purpose course, and we know that it's so helpful for those who have had a, a handful of months to already process their pain, but we knew we needed something for those who have just found themselves in the middle of it, like their lives have just flipped upside down. And, and so we've created this new four-session mini course called When Everything Changes, Navigating the Early Days of Loss, Trauma, and Tragedy. Now, in this course, you'll hear from me as well as our Nothing Is Wasted podcast co-host, Aubrey Sampson, and our community director, Amy Sylvester. And we're going to be talking about practical ways to support yourself during this season. We'll talk about how to lament and, and what you need in order to take the first steps forward after your life is forever changed. Now, the sessions are intentionally concise because when you're processing trauma or grief, it can be very difficult to engage with a whole lot of information. But within these sessions, you'll get the encouragement to know you're not alone in, in what you're feeling, as well as some practical next steps on what to do in the aftermath of your pain. This isn't some theoretical idea on how to deal with what you're going through. It's real tried and true wisdom from others who have been where you are and have gone through cataclysmic shifts in their lives. I wish I would have had this kind of practical wisdom in the beginning of my own pain to purpose journey, but I'm so excited that we get to share this resource with you. It's the exact resources that I needed. And so in order to access this, you can go to nothingiswasted.com slash everything changes. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash everything changes. And you can purchase this course or better yet, you can join community plus at nothingiswasted.com slash community plus, And you can access this in addition to all of our other resources behind our content library immediately. Look, I'm so sorry for the pain that you're walking through. And I want to encourage you that you can walk through this with hope and life. It can have hope again, even when everything changes. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm one of your hosts I guess co-host, hosts, whatever it is that I am. And joining me, a special guest co-host, as she's been joining me on the past few episodes, Amy Sylvester. Amy, it's so good to have you back on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for being here. It's always a joy. 
Thank you, Davey. I'm happy to be here with you and um, get to share this episode with our listeners this week. Um, So thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We were just um, talking about the joys, I guess the upside and the downside of working from home. Yeah, you, we both were. See, those of you guys who don't know, we have an entirely remote team. So the Nothing Is Wasted team is scattered all over the country, mm-hmm. and we're all remote. And so you're, I was like just about to go do some lunch at, right after this with my kid, and you know, you're talking about lunch. So it's just fun. It's pretty unique that we get an opportunity to do this mm-hmm. to minister to thousands of people across the country right now in this moment, and then open this little door and go grab a meal with our kids after that. It's so yeah. much fun. So it's nice. It's good, to, it's good to be able to spend some time doing this. Uh, we got a great conversation today with Emily Jensen. It's actually Eric who's having this conversation. Um, I love the fact that we're introducing more and more voices to the nothing is wasted community. And, um, and Eric's got a, it, he's just a, got an incredible way of interviewing people and, and diving in and, Asking very uh, thought-provoking and probing questions. But Emily, this conversation is great. It's incredible. This conversation is, I thought, was really sweet because um, Eric was Emily's pastor at some stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they just have a really, um, you can tell they have a friendship and he's pastored her. So um, we're so excited to introduce you to Emily Jensen. She is an author. She's a mom. And she also founded Risen Motherhood. And she's the co-host of the Risen Motherhood podcast. She is the author of He is Strong, Devotions for When You Feel Weak. And she goes into talking about that experience um, in this episode. So we're excited for you to glean from Emily Jensen with her conversation with Eric Shoemaker today. Welcome to another episode of the Nothing is Wasted podcast. I am your host, Eric Shoemaker. And as you can see, I am filming from, a, for those of you on YouTube, I'm filming from a new location, which is my new basement office. I have had a transition in my job recently. Um, I ended my service as pastor at the church that I'm still at and became full-time with the uh, Baptist Convention of Iowa as pastoral ministry director, which meant I gave up my church office and had to move all my library at home, which explains the huge mess that you see behind me. And I was thinking about putting up a virtual background, but one, I'm not smart enough to figure out how to do that on this platform. And two, life is messy. And so um, we're on a podcast about how God works through our suffering. And so if your life is messy, your home is messy, um, you can feel at home looking at my background. And if your life is calm and peaceful, you can look at Emily's backgrounds and feel right at home. (laughs) (laughs) And I know Emily well enough that she would say uh, the background can be deceiving. (laughs) So, um, but mentioning Emily, um, I'm really excited about today's podcast guest, which is Emily Jensen. Um, She is a lot of things, a wife, a mother, a podcaster, co-founder of Risen Motherhood Ministry, co-author of Risen Motherhood book, which is if you 
are a mother, know a mother, or think you might know someone who's a mother, um, buy Risen Motherhood, give it to them. In fact, if you're a dad, read Risen Motherhood because it'll help you be a better father because it's just the gospel applied to being a parent. And uh, it is a fantastic book. And I've had the privilege of um, being friends with Emily for about nine years. And uh, we have, I've had the privilege of being her pastor for nine years um, up until the end of September. And uh, now I'm a church member with Emily. And, uh, but I've been able to watch and even be a part of the background of uh, Emily's ministry from when the podcast was just exploding and the book was just a proposal um, up until now. And, uh, and now she has her second, her second book, right, Emily? Second book, first solo book. First solo book. Yeah. So her debut solo title, um, He is Strong, Devotions for When You Feel Weak. And uh, we're going to talk about this book. It is a very good book. It's ministered to me in the last week of, as I've been reading through the devotions um, on my own. I've already been able to read most of them, I think, uh, as the book was being written. Uh, but I'm I'm excited about um, this conversation. I think you, uh, as the Nothing Is Wasted podcast audience, will love Emily and appreciate her as much as I do. Uh, so, Emily Jensen, welcome to the podcast. Wow! Thanks for that introduction. <laughs> um, you know, Eric, I keep trying to think of what I should refer to you as now because ex pastor doesn't sound right. Yeah. <laughs> this is my ex-pastor. <laughs> former, you didn't do anything pastor. wrong. <laughs> um, no, it's it's been a joy to do life with you over the years, and you have poured into my ministry greatly. And then, as we'll talk about today, just my personal life and processing of topics like weakness, um, just have worked through and walked through a lot there mm. together. And so... Grateful to be talking about this, and I'm glad that you've studied this topic probably more extensively than I have now, so you'll be able to fill in any and all <laughs> gaps that I have, right, Eric? That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> is, well, um, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell us about who you are, uh, what you do, maybe how you came to faith, and um, where you're at right now in life, and uh, and then we'll zero in after that. Great. Yeah. Well, you already mentioned some of like the big things that people may have already heard or know that um, co-founder of Risen Motherhood, which is a ministry that brings gospel hope to moms through a podcast and articles and various resources. And then um, I do various writing ministry on my own. But when I think about a regular day in my life, those are not the two things that come to my mind first. Um, I am a wife to my husband, Brad. We've been married for 14 years mm -hmm. and we have five kids um, ranging in ages from six to 11. And so, you know, conversations like what are we having at our next meal are very common in my house. Um, trying to remember whose band instrument needs to go to school and, <clears throat> and when and where, um, you know, looking at my phone and making sure the nurse hasn't called while I've turned my head you know that those are the things that are on my mind day mm -hmm. in and day out right now um so very busy with family life and uh 
just all things pertaining to that. And then, of course, those those ministry things on the side. Um, so, yeah, my story of coming to faith um, is one that I think feels uncommon to me when I talk with other adults in the church. Most of the people that I'm around, I feel like, really grew up with faith in Christ and perhaps wrestled with it mm-hmm. as an adult and had to, you know, come to an understanding of that faith on their own. But when I look back on my story, I definitely grew up going to church mm-hmm. on Sunday. Like that was a regular part of life. And I remember always believing that God was real mm. and believing the basic truths of faith. Like, uh, you had to believe Jesus paid for your sins to go to heaven. Like, I don't know that I've had a moment in my life where I thought something like, oh, the Bible isn't true. Mm -hmm. But I would say I did not place my hope or my faith in God or um, look to Him as, you know, the answer to my questions, the reality of my identity, my only hope, my my saving grace, you know, all of those things. Um, And as I was growing up, I really, I would say, lived kind of a double life. Like, I would have professed that I was a Christian. Um, I would have gone to churchy things. But everything else about my life was not Christian at all. Mm. In fact, I was fairly, you know, rebellious and, you know, just engaged in all kinds of worldly things that teenagers get into. Um and, and, you know, subsequently, as I got into college and became a young adult, you know, those things really caused my life to down spiral mm. in a real way. And I also think it was is God's kindness, mm. you know, in a little bit of that prodigal way to, you know, experience that, hey, this is actually a lot more like a pigsty that I'm living in. And I'm not, these choices are not actually blessing my life. Mm. They're making a ruin of my life. Mm. Um, And through a multitude of events, you know, that just were kind of a down spiral at the age of 20, I had a moment where I just would say I kind of hit rock bottom. Um, a, A relationship that I was in had ended and it was just sort of representative of this reality that I had tried so hard Mm. to make a good life for myself, to be enough, to, um, you know, have happiness, all these things apart from God. And I had just done nothing but left a wake of destruction and misery. And I was, I was just wrecked. And I think for the first time, it really occurred to me how needy I was, um, and that I was never going to be able to find fulfillment and happiness in and of myself and these things that I was striving for. And I just remember praying for God to help me. I don't, I don't think I prayed some great, beautiful prayer in that moment. Yeah. Like that was it. I just said, help me. And, um, within a couple of days, I went to, Barnes and Noble. I mean, this was like pre all the tech and all the things. This is like pre Amazon, probably. <laughs> and I was walking through the Christian section of the bookstore. I'd never been to the Christian section of a bookstore before. And I just grabbed a book off the shelf because I thought, I don't know 
what I'm looking for, but maybe there's something in here. And thankfully, the gospel was in that book. Mm. And that was really the first time that God allowed me to understand the truth of the gospel. And I put my faith in Him. He answered my prayer for help. Mm. And um, I had kind of like one of those 180-degree life turn, you know, situations Mm. where within a year— just everything about my life was so radically different. Mm. Um, And I've been on that trajectory, praise the Lord, ever since and had a lot of maturing to do. But when I became a Christian, I very much felt like, even though I'd been growing up in church, I didn't have the Bible knowledge. I didn't know the hymns. I didn't know all the right things I was supposed to do. Um, I hadn't read all the classics. You know, I just literally came with nothing. And so um, I, I needed lots of lots of help. Hey, Nothing is Wasted family. Are you currently walking through a specific valley and looking for resources to help you in your pain? I think we can all attest to the fact that there is tremendous comfort in hearing from those who have walked a similar path and have found hope and healing on the other side. That's why we've created collections of resources called Curated Pathways to help you navigate your specific pain points. With Curated Pathways on topics like grief, child loss, sexual betrayal, childhood trauma, widowhood, and more, we've compiled the very best resources from Nothing Is Wasted Ministries all in one place to speak to what you're experiencing right now. Our Curated Pathways will give you access to everything we've created from past podcast episodes to bonus content, masterclasses, live coaching, and everything in between. I mean, let's admit it. When you're facing a crisis, loss, or trauma, you just don't have the time, energy, or emotional bandwidth to search for or wade through all of the resources that could help you heal. That's why we've created Curated Pathways. Now, you can get a taste of what our Curated Pathways have to offer by going to nothingiswasted.com slash pathways. But if you're ready to go to the next level on your healing journey, you can access the full library of our resources, including the entire curated pathway you're looking for by becoming a Community Plus member. For just $20 a month or $200 a year, you'll have access to the complete collection of Nothing Is Wasted curated pathways, as well as our entire library of masterclasses, bonus episodes, live coaching, live events, replays, and more. As a Community Plus member, you'll be able to access a new curated pathway each month as our collection grows. Our team has been working very hard on this to catalog, index, organize, and distribute our library of content in a way that will be most helpful to you or to friends and family that you know who are going through a tough time. We know what it's like to face pain, and we want to equip you with the tools you need to find hope and healing as you move from pain to purpose. Join Community Plus today at nothingiswasted.com slash community plus, or get a taste of our curated pathways by going to nothingiswasted.com slash pathways. You can find both of those links in the show notes of this episode. We want to help you partner with God to take back your story, and we're committed to giving you resources in an easy way for you to access those so that you can do just that. So you have now written this book on weakness, uh, a collection of devotions on weakness. What led to that? Hmm. Talking with you. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, yeah, I guess anybody who picks it up will read, you know, right at the beginning, I talk about really starting probably my first foray into counseling mm. of any kind. And that happened, as you know, after our son had his first seizure. And that was a really significant event in my life. Mm. I think there have been a lot of things that have made me feel weak and afraid and um, have kind of made me grapple with some of those existential questions. But that was a that was one that was like the rug got pulled out from underneath me. And so I know you and I were talking through some of that, mm-hmm. right? To talk a little bit about trauma and how to process scary, heavy, hard things. And as we talked, I don't remember if you said it or I said it, but I kept calling myself weak mm-hmm. over and over and over again. And I think you pointed that out to me. And uh, you know, I realized that was kind of a theme of yeah. my life, a theme about the way that I thought about myself, um, something that I had wrestled with in many situations, not just uh, the situation with um, our son. And so I want to say it was you who said you should write a book about that. And me who was like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I'm i actually trying to avoid this aspect of myself. I don't need to write a book mm. about it. And um, but But God just planted that little seed in my mind mm. and months went by. And I just couldn't get it out of my head. And Mm -hmm. I really wanted to go to the Word with Mm -hmm. all of these different things about myself that I was feeling and experiencing and just say, okay, I want to get this straight. What does God say about this? Mm -hmm. And what am I supposed to do about this? And what comfort do I have? What hope do I have? And that's really where the devotional was Mm. born out of, Mm. um, was me processing through that, through the Word of God over time. And um, I really hope that it it is a help and a comfort for others who are walking through their own feelings of weakness, Um, because I wish I would have had something like this when I was processing Mm. it. It's always good to have an author say, this is the book I wish I had when I was going through it. Yeah. Because you know the experience before you go into writing it. And in some ways, you're writing it for yourself. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's coming out of what you're learning, maybe even speaking to your younger self. Um, was there any of that in the book? Yeah. I think that one of the things I had to face um, was like the narratives that were going through my mind a mm. lot around the topic of weakness, like mm-hmm. what I believed about myself mm-hmm. very deeply. And so, I even think in writing some of these devotions, it was also choosing to believe and and adhere to some different narratives yeah. about weakness and what that meant about me. And so, I do feel like on the other side of writing it, I even like my self-talk and like the truths that I say to myself are really different from mm-hmm. when I started. So, it was a real transformation process. And I was often like surprised about what I found in God's Word. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily find exactly what I thought I would find, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah. Would you be willing to, um, and you don't have to, but would you be willing to unpack one of those narratives, narratives that you were telling yourself about? who you were and weakness and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, like we've mentioned, there's there's 30 different ones that I go through in the book. So there's a lot of different angles and facets that I explored, but I think one of them was related to the topic of grief, mm-hmm. um, which is something I know, you know, this podcast goes through a lot and and maybe your listeners have experienced, but with our son's um, epilepsy, and I can't remember how much I've gotten into this already or not, but our fourth son has a rare genetic syndrome. And so he has a variety of disabilities. He's nonverbal. He only started walking when he was seven years old. He's got intellectual disabilities, just has a lot of significant challenges. And epilepsy was just like another thing that got added on top of that. Um, And so probably that's been one of the most significant aspects of grief that Mm. I've had to process through as an adult. And, you know, I was talking with a counselor that really labeled that kind of a complex grief because it's something that doesn't like have a point in time. It's like, you're always carrying it with you Mm -hmm. and it's like hitting you in waves when you don't expect it. And I think that's true of many different kinds of grief, but Mm -hmm. it's not like, I grow further and further away from this moment in time, like this Mm -hmm. moment, it's always with me. Um, And so what used to happen was I would, let's say, for instance, take our son to a doctor's appointment. Um, You know, maybe it's like this little 45 minute window on the calendar and, you know, we'd have to drive there and go through the appointment and come home. And it felt like such a small thing, but I would experience it as a really big hit in Mm -hmm. my life and on my heart. And I would find that like the whole day leading up to it, or maybe the day before, I was like really edgy. I was pretty fatigued. I felt like really heightened in my awareness of things going on around me. I had like a shorter fuse. Um, It was like difficult for me to focus on things. And then afterwards, after we get back from this appointment, I would just feel completely wiped out. Mm. And it would be really hard for me to function, sometimes Mm. for hours, sometimes for a day or more. Um, Like, it was just, it was hard for me to engage my other kids. It was hard Mm. for me to um, be present and like do some of the things that I wanted to do with the type of energy I wanted to have. And I really was just frustrated with myself about this. I felt Mm. like, what kind of person am I that I can't go to a 45 Mm. minute appointment without it affecting me for like two days? Like that's ridiculous. That's so, that's so weak. That's so Mm. pitiful. (laughs) That's so ridiculous. I need to be strong enough to go to this appointment and have it not affect me. Mm. But um, as I really started to learn more about that and unpack that, I started to realize that what I was facing was grief. Mm. And that 45-minute appointment, it really wasn't about whether or not I could like handle going to the doctor and like parking at the parking lot and walking in. And, you know, yeah, Yeah. I was able to handle all of those things. But what that doctor's appointment brought up in me was having to face the grief Mm. of having this child with this really significant disability 
I was probably going to have to tell the doctor in detail all the things that were wrong. I was going to have to confront, you know, developmental milestones that were not being met. I was probably going to hear some really hard news. I was going to walk home with a long list of medical instructions and things I was going to have to implement that I wasn't sure how I was going to have time for. And all of that stirred up grief in me. And so it was just really interesting when I had that moment where I went, okay, this is a type of weakness in my life that's real, but it's not born from sin. Mm-hmm. It's not born from something I'm doing wrong. Mm-hmm. This is something circumstantial that the mm-hmm. that the Lord has put in my life and the Lord has allowed me to walk through. And grief is not sin. Mm-hmm. And our Savior grieved. Mm -hmm. Our Savior was a man of sorrows. And the Lord, I can be faithful and grieve. Mm. I can have a day off and still faithfully care for a lot of these things in my life. And so, that was just so freeing to me when I realized like, hey, this type of weakness that I'm experiencing isn't necessarily one that I need to like you know, berate myself about or try to stop having. Mm-hmm. It's one that I need to receive and accept. And and we can sin in our grief for sure. So I'm not saying yeah, that, yeah. but I am saying I think it helped me rest in the Lord during something like an appointment day mm-hmm. and um receive the comfort that he has for me in mm. that instead of uh, you know, my mental narrative being like, Emily, this is so ridiculous. And like, I can't believe all you can get your, you know, all you can do is put frozen pizza on the table tonight. You should be able to do better than that. Like, mm. I think a lot of those narratives for me have dissipated mm. because I've realized like, no, this is a time for me to lament. Mm. And it's a time for me to pray mm. and to trust that like, God is caring for me and our family in and through frozen pizza tonight. Praise the Lord. You're like, that's okay. Amen. I love how you described that. um, You called it circumstantial weakness, where your finitude as a human being is bumping up against the brokenness of the world that is there ultimately because of big picture sin we're living in a broken world, but it's not due to your personal sin or any sinful failure in who you are. Um, so what I want to ask you to do now is we, I want to explore circumstantial weakness a little bit and how the gospel speaks to it. So what I want to ask you to do is, um, first of all, just for our listeners who might hear the word gospel and be like, I have no idea what that means. Could you explain for us what, the gospel is. Um, and then let's, after you're done with that, let's apply that to the exact kind of circumstantial weakness. Like how does the gospel speak to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is It is really interesting to talk about the word gospel because I do think a lot of people consider it just like the good news that Jesus died from our sins and was risen from the grave and is victorious. And like, that's true, right? Mm -hmm. That is the one way that the word gospel is used. But then there's also this like 
overarching meta narrative of scripture way to talk about the good news yeah. and all that it encompasses. And it starts in creation and God's intention and his design for the world being good right. and his design and intention for mankind being very good. And, um, you know, all of that existing for God's glory, where mankind was given a very specific mission to carry out um, and be like representatives of God on mm. earth. But then, of course, in the fall, we see that that didn't happen. That was not played out perfectly. Sin entered and, you know, sin in the fall and brokenness impacted every facet of creation, every aspect of life. And I will say that like, you know, I even still am, what, I've been a Christian for 17 years. I continue to be shocked at how much the fall has permeated everything. Mm. Like every corner of everything that is good is touched by the fall mm. in some way. And it is utterly frustrating. And it's so bleak to think mm -hmm. about. Um, and we have plenty of stories in scripture that talk about the impact of sin and the impact of this brokenness and, and the way that it, it ruins relationships mm. and it, it, you know, distorts our desires. And I mean, just it, it, it is the reason for disease and disability and all these things that are, are sad in our lives. And most importantly, being death, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. sin led to death. And so the, the gospel also encompasses, like we've already talked about the reality that Christ came and he is the answer to that. He mm. is the promise and the way out of that situation. Mm. Um, the only way in which we get reconciled to God and we can now be seen as very good before the throne of God again, and that um, all of Christ's righteousness can be ours. Um, and then I, I really love recognizing as well that we have the hope of heaven, mm. that if you are in Christ and you're following Him in faith, then you know there is a, a just, perfect, um, you know, second coming where we are mm. going to be united with God forever. Our tears are going to be wiped away. We're going to have purposeful work to do again with him forever. We're going to be um, with our Savior, safe, protected, all of those things. Um, and I think it's really that hope of heaven that sustains us now and helps propel us um, in yeah. the work that we still have until we get there. So, when I say the gospel, I am thinking of like that big story that encompasses all of scripture. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to something like grief, it's helpful for me to walk that through the lens of that story, kind of that framework, and to go, okay, God did not originally in create, you know, the garden with things that Adam and Eve needed to grieve. Like this is a result of the fall. Yeah. The fact that there is death and disability, this is a result of the fall. Um and um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought there. Um, and what's interesting to me is that Jesus, as he comes, I forget the way scripture words it, but not only is he like a man of sorrows, but he experienced like all of the same or like similar things that we experienced that he would yeah. sympathize with us yeah. in our weakness. 
And so it's incredible to me that God didn't like avoid that, but he entered into it. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that our Savior is a man of sorrows, that he cried over the loss of his friend, that he wept before he went to the cross, that he was moved with pity and compassion um, for others means that like those feelings in us is that's like a right response mm. to the fall. Yeah. That's actually like he had a perfect response. So that's right when we see aspects of the fall and then we respond with overwhelm and tears and almost that sense of like, how can I possibly go on knowing yeah. that this is true? Yeah. Um but you know thinking about grief um, I guess to try to put it into a real, a real life scenario for me, that meant knowing that, Hey, my, the things that happened to me, even physiologically around grief, um, is my body's like right response mm. to something sad, mm. right? Like, it, it's agreeing with God, like, this is not the way things should be. Mm -hmm. um, and that's okay. In fact, I was working with a nutritionist and we were talking about protein and all these different things. And we we're talking about grief. And she was saying, actually, like, when you are, are stressed or sad about something, your body actually uses energy, like physical mm -hmm. energy from food and things to process that. And so you get depleted of yeah. nutrients, your hormones are affected. Like there's an actual physical response that happens to yeah. stress that changes your very body. Mm -hmm. um, so it helped me to know that that doesn't mean there's like a defect in me. That's That means that like as a Christian, things are working the way they should be working yeah. because I'm sad about disability and I am longing for heaven and I'm longing for that mm. to not be my son's reality anymore. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that that hope of heaven peace is, is so important because without it, we just have no, we have no hope. We have no way out of the situation. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm so thankful that it doesn't rely on us to fix things mm. um, because I very quickly get to the end of my ability to do internet searches to find a cure, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I can rest knowing that, you know, God is going to make all things right someday. I don't know yeah. what that means exactly, but I believe it. Mm. Yeah. That is, that is so good. Um, I love how you described grief as this, ongoing thing that's something that i keep realizing is it's all grief is like a manifold loss uh you mm. even, even i mean it's it's one thing when you're grieving a, a living person's disabilities um and i imagine it's there's a similarity with losing a person you don't understand the significance of that until you reach certain milestones that aren't happening <laughs> when everybody else's mm -hmm. kid would be reaching those or you would have been with this person this many years. Like you don't understand the the fullness of the loss until you're living through all the years of it, which which can actually Im 
increased and compound that grief and which makes the ministry of Jesus just get bigger and bigger and bigger in our eyes that, man, what's it going to look like in the resurrection when he restores the milestones we didn't get to see, et cetera, et cetera. It's, yeah, that's such good hope. Um, Let's switch gears a little bit as we think about how the gospel applies to weakness. Um, You mentioned, I want to talk about moral weakness now. You know, this, this weakness was one of just living in a broken world, not a result of our sin. You mentioned earlier, as you were sharing your testimony, kind of having a 180 conversion coming out of a lifestyle. I think you described as a lot of rebellion. Um, and, and I'm not asking you to describe any of that story. I think we can all, we all understand our own, <laughs> our own rebellion, yeah. but uh, as you become a Christian, then you're coming face to face with your moral failings um, and the destruction that can bring. I imagine, and well, I know from my own life, there's a lot of weakness you feel in that ranging from, why can't I just be better now and stop sinning to I do not have the capacity to fix everything that I smashed and broke. And I don't know how to get out of this. Um, where, where have you experienced moral weakness? And then how does the gospel speak to that? Mm. Yeah, that, there's a lot there. <laughs> wow. Um well, I will call to mind a, a story from scripture that I think encourages me a lot. And that is thinking about Peter's denial of Jesus. Mm. Um, because I think so much of dealing with my own moral weakness, both mm-hmm. like in the past and in the present, something that I tend to turn to is like my own willpower or my own like my own ability to like be sovereign over a situation, right? (laughs) Like this desire to like hold everything together in this very certain way. And um, it's just amazing to me that these men who went to sleep by Jesus and woke up beside Jesus and taught with him and followed him everywhere and, and loved him. Um, that they couldn't even like stay with him through the night to pray. They couldn't even make it kind of to the cross with him without denying him or scattering from him. And when Jesus, um, I have the passage in front of me, but essentially right before that night happens, Peter's like, yeah, I'm never going to deny you. Like I'm going all the way Whatever happens, Jesus, I'm here. And Jesus predicts that, right? He says, nope, you're actually going to deny me. And Mm. and Peter doesn't even believe it. He's like, no, (laughs) that's not me. That that would never happen. Um, And yet, circumstances change and things get hard. And like Peter does what he thought like a few hours earlier was like unthinkable. Mm -hmm. Like, he did what he thought he was incapable of doing. He stooped lower than he thought he was capable of stooping. Like yeah. whatever his thing was in his mind that he thought, I will never, ever leave this man. He left him. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, when you hear, what is it? The rooster crows and 
Peter and Jesus make eye contact. Oh, like that thought is, I think we've all been there, right? Mm -hmm. Where we do that thing that we have said to God, I won't do that ever again, God. Mm. I won't ever yell at my kids again. I won't ever watch that thing or look at that thing. I won't ever gossip again. I won't ever, you know, whatever that is. And then we do it. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, now I've got to come back to the Lord. And I, I know we don't we don't have a picture of what Jesus's you know eye contact was like with Peter at that moment, but mm. I can imagine you know the conviction and the grace and the love and all of the things that were mixed up in that. And then you know we get to see Peter and Jesus's you know, reunion and that and the reconciliation that happens in uh, Jesus, you know, affirming in Peter his call and his purpose in the church mm. and and that, uh, you know, asking Peter to say, you know, you love me. I wish I had this passage in front of me because I'm probably paraphrasing and butchering it, but it's it's just beautiful to see that, yeah. like, there's restoration that mm-hmm. happens in that relationship. Like Peter's denial of Jesus was not the end yeah. of his story, and it wasn't the end of his ministry, and it wasn't the end of his usefulness in the church. Yeah. Um, and so I think we can take such great encouragement from that, yeah. that the difference between Peter and Judas is like Judas never— came back to the yeah. Lord and repented and reconciled. And like Peter did. Yeah. And so we have a choice when yeah. we have a moral failing, right? Yeah. We can we can get stuck in that and be so, uh, what is it about, um, you know, there's a difference between godly sorrow mm-hmm. where we truly turn to the Lord in repentance versus like, oh, I got caught and I'm mad because of the consequences yeah. and I'm upset because of the consequences but I'm not really wanting to turn back to God. Um, and, and, you know, we have to choose to run to Christ, but He receives us yeah. wholly, openly, yeah. with grace, and mm. still has purpose for us. Hey, friends, with as many of you guys who are listening to this each week, I know so many of you are carrying a heavy weight of pain and loss. Your story is not gone the way that you thought it was going to go. And when we when we start to process what's happening in our lives, we can often find ourselves paralyzed by the pain, not really knowing where to go from here, what to do from here. And uh, you know, I know from experience that we even begin to to tell ourselves lies like this is the end of your story. That this will always define you. And trust me, I've been there. But with the help of others, I was able to navigate my way out of that valley. And nothing is wasted ministries. We exist to help you navigate your pain and even find purpose from that pain. So if you're new to our community and you're wondering where to start, or you've been with us for some time and you're just looking to take your next step, I'm hosting a free live call just for you. In that call, we're going to talk about the five steps to taking back your story, no matter what you've gone through. I'm going to share with you a little more of my own journey of how God met me in my valley and guided me after losing my wife, Amanda. And I'm going to teach you five critical steps that you'll have to take in order to rewrite your story. 
The call is going to be right at 60 minutes long, but I promise you, it's going to be well worth your time because in it, you'll learn things like how to regain a sense of agency and begin thriving, not just surviving, but thriving in the midst of your trying circumstances. Why having more questions than answers may be an essential part of moving forward. How to get rid of the overwhelming negative emotions that tend to bog you down and get you stuck. We're going to talk about the one key decision that you're going to have to take in order to move through your pain and and beyond it. How to listen to the right voices when everyone seems to have an opinion on what you quote unquote should do next. And listen to me, a whole lot more. So if you're feeling weighed down or paralyzed by the pain you've experienced, you don't have to stay there. I want to be your guide and show you the way back to thriving. Just go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash start here to sign up for this free live call. Or if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, just click the link at the bottom in the show notes. We've made it extremely easy for you to sign up and we're offering multiple date and time options for this live call to work with your calendar. Guys, I believe this one step could be the very breakthrough you need to put you on the redemptive path God has for you. Just open up your browser on your phone right now and go to nothingiswasted.com slash start here or click the link we've included in the show notes of this episode. I'm in your corner and I can't wait to connect with you soon. I love the angle that you picked on that because, uh, you know, it's easy to think about who we were before Christ and after Christ. Um, but we never, like, none of us actually have a 180 conversion. Like, we, you know, we're, we're like, we range between like <laughs> 90 degrees and 170, like 185 or something, you know, like we're, yeah, yeah, we're always, yes. we're, we're, uh, we're almost, almost there. Um, and yeah. And how many times do we tell ourselves, I will never do that again? Or, um, it's like weekly, daily, like, I can't believe I was like that yesterday. <laughs> you know, I'll yep. I'll never be doubtful and fearful again. And and then you you hit noon and you're like, oh, <sighs> here I am again. And his faithfulness is so just so great. Like, yeah, I I, I wonder about that eye contact between Jesus and Peter. I imagine it wasn't long because if 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 I was Peter. I'd be breaking eye contact pretty quick. Um, I know. You know. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And in a lot of ways, Jesus Jesus wouldn't break contact with him. You know, he sought him out and restored him. And mm-hmm. all all of that sin is gone. It's it's all yeah. removed. Jesus doesn't look at us anymore with that. Like that's a weakness he doesn't see you know, except to help us, you know, yeah. like um, that he's not disappointed or angry or ashamed of us. He's not ashamed to be called our brother mm-hmm. uh, is just, that's just magnificent good news. Um, so let's, I want to go with another angle of weakness. Yeah. Um, and that is, you talk, you're talking in your book about relative weakness when we compare ourselves to others. And I'm sure uh, that even just through your ministry with Risen Motherhood, like moms who look at other moms on social media and feel like I am such a terrible mom compared to the perfect world they present on their social media account. Um, comparison is a huge thing for all of us. We look at other people and are like, man, I am not worthy to be near these people. I am 
I'm such a wimp. I'm such a failure. Like, how have you experienced that? And how does the gospel speak hope into that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, one thing that's interesting about getting older, and you would maybe know this more than me, I don't know. Because I'm older. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, it's just like the older I get, the more I become more and more sure that everyone's lives are quite a bit more messy and complicated yes. than you know they ever, ever show on the surface. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something to just remember, right? Like social media is truly a highlight of highlight reels. Like mm-hmm. even the people that say I'm being vulnerable and I'm being raw and I'm being open are still not showing their Everything. worst moments. Yeah. And like, I don't think we should per se. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that that's not what's at, on social media. And and even when you're getting together with your friends for coffee or you are hanging out with your mom friends at the park, like even then, they're probably not telling you the worst of yeah. themselves, the worst of their thoughts, the things that are going on in their marriage behind closed doors. Um, and so I, I don't know. I, I guess that's something I don't think I understood the gravity of as a new mm-hmm. mom that I understand now. I'm like a lot quicker or I'm a lot slower to assume someone's life is as good as it looks. Yeah. Um, and more so to think, no, they probably have their own share of struggles and sorrows. And even someone who looks high achieving and high capacity and is doing all these things and, you know, their kids are always dressed super cute and they always look really put together. Like, well, there's something that's like motivating that too. And Mm. sometimes it's a deep hurt. And, you know, so even recognizing like the mom who is ultra, you know, perfectionistic and like high performing may have some deep pain and, and that, performance may be coming from her pain. Yeah. You know, I think it's just, I think there's like a, a paradigm of compassion that's needed to know like everyone is hurting. Um, but I also think related to comparison, it's been helpful for me to realize that God has created us all differently, mm-hmm. right? We're all made in his image, but each of us has different stories And we have different personalities and we have different circumstances in our lives, different things that he's called us to care for. And I think sometimes when we are looking at other moms, we're not taking into account those differences, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're just kind of wanting to copy and paste. Well, her kids, you know, she's able to do cloth diapering and she's got homeschooling kids and she's got chickens and like, she's able to take care of all of this. And I'm not able to do that. And I don't understand why. And it's like, well, if you were to actually like overlay the details of your life on top of one another, you would find tremendous differences. And there's probably like a lot of reasons why her life doesn't work in your life or why your life wouldn't work in in her life. Um, You know, I even think just about the differences in like spouse dynamics and like, you know, well, maybe her husband loves that. And my husband 
has literally told me, don't bring chickens home, please, Emily, don't bring chickens home, (laughs) you know? And it's like, well, I'm honoring my own husband and she's honoring hers. And uh, so, so trying to like superficially compare it's just honestly not that helpful. Um, mm-hmm. So there are ways, I think, once we can appreciate the unique life that God gave us mm-hmm. and be content to live in the life that God actually gave us, not mm. the life we wish we had or we want to have, then I think what's neat is we can start to learn from other people. Yeah. So that comparison can be productive, right? But mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be um, something that causes me to go into a down spiral of despair. It can yeah. be, oh, I can learn something from her. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Or we can just let it go. It's like, good yeah. for her. Praise the Lord. I'm glad there's people in the church like her. And mm-hmm. then there's people in the church like me. Mm-hmm. We're all different. Yeah. And the Lord wanted both of us to be here. And that's great. Yeah. It's awesome that sanctification isn't a cookie cutter. You know, we're all yeah. we're all being conformed to the image of Christ, and yet we still look so different. And at the end of the day, when we're all perfected and glorified, I don't think that means we will all have the same personality in the resurrection. Yeah, you know, we will be individuals. Um, and and I I just want to say I really appreciate the angle you took with that in terms of being compassionate uh, towards the person who's projecting the perfect life through various places. I'm, you know, I'm for a counseling class I'm taking right now, I'm, I'm researching adverse childhood experiences and the effects that they can have on us as adults and the way that people respond to dysfunctional childhoods and that sort of thing. And realizing what could be under this person's performance mentality and the need to be appear really strong and have it all together could be uh, a defense mechanism against having to deal with and face some deep, deep suffering in their life. And the last thing they probably need is our condemnation. They need our our sympathy. Um, and, and you know, what you mentioned earlier in the conversation about Jesus uh, becoming like us in every respect so that he could be, he could sympathize with us in our weaknesses and our temptations. Like that's part of what it means to become Christ-like is to look at a person and go, I know the human experience and they're human. And, um, mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's just really, that's just really Mm -hmm. good. Um, so we've talked about, um, kind of circumstantial weakness, particularly in grief where we can't change our circumstances. Uh, we've talked about moral weakness. We've talked about weakness relative comparison to other people. Let's get to classic understanding weakness, just physical weakness. Um, what are you? What are your thoughts on how the gospel speaks to that? Mm. I mean, I'm I'm mm. old now. Um, you're not old yet, but I know, like, man, our bodies like they decay fast, <laughs> and it's not any fun. Um, what does Jesus say to that? Mm. Well, I'm, I'd be curious if you can pull any of these off the top of your head, but I don't know of any scripture where God calls us to a physical bodily strength as part of our kingdom mission. Mm. Do you know of any? I don't. And I know of metaphorical ones. Yes. 
where he says to, um, you know, act like men or basically act like grown adults, you know, be strong and courageous, but it's never get buff. And, uh, you know, even Paul says physical training is of some Some value, value. but not Mm -hmm. compare, you know, Spiritual training is of value in every way. And in fact, as I think through the narrative of Scripture and where weakness plays a role, the Lord is always highlighting physical weakness. You know, we can Mm -hmm. look at the story of Gideon where he's like, your army is too big. We need to make it weaker. Um, And how often, you know, even Jacob is not the mighty hunter of Jacob and Esau. You know, he's the mama's boy. Um, and yeah, I mean, all the way through, God is picking the weak, the weak things of the world to magnify his strength. Um, yeah. yeah. So, that, I mean, when I think about that, again, I, I think there is that piece of, of some value because there is a stewardship of our bodies, mm-hmm. right? And I'm I'm learning a lot about that in this season of, hey, does it actually help other people around me? Does it actually help me serve and love others well when I don't rest mm. because I want to do more? You know, like, yeah. is, is that helping people? Or um, even, you know, I added um, strength training into my routine this month and it's it's hard. It's not always what I want to be spending my time on. But, you know, again, I have a son who's eight, who's, you know, over 50 pounds that needs to be lifted. How can I love him well? How can I show up for the role and the responsibilities that God has for me? Well, like yeah. I need biceps for that. Yep. <laughs> and and you know, there there's an element in which my physical body and being able to carry him across the room when he's not able to get there by himself or lift him in and out of a vehicle. Like I'm, I'm just really grappling with that. Like I almost like lifting weights is part of that. Um, But in terms of our outer body wasting away and, or, you know, as we age and like, we're not as physically strong anymore, or maybe we don't even have the same cognitive functioning as we once did. It's like, I just don't see a lot of scriptural evidence that that's critical to faithfulness. Mm -hmm. Like, I think walking by the Spirit, you know, putting on the armor of God, having God produce the fruit of the Spirit in us, doing God's will and obedience and giving thanks in all things, like, those are things that people can do in, like, most any type of body, you know, or... Uh, you can do it at 90, you can do it at nine months, or nine months old, Uh, that's not get extreme, but you can do it as a baby Mm -hmm. Christian, you can do it, uh, you know, on your deathbed. Those things, you can walk by the Spirit, you can, you know, praise God, you can give thanks, all those different things. And so, I don't know, I, I don't... I don't put a tremendous amount of stock in that being the way or like the most important thing because like you said i think we have so so much evidence that god actually works in and through our weaknesses Mm -hmm. physical or otherwise that 
I don't know. I, I think when we get to heaven and we see the upside down kingdom and the first and the mm. last, and I think we're going to be pretty surprised yeah. at the people that we may be viewed as most mm-hmm. incapable in mm-hmm. this life are are going to have some rewards and some yeah. capabilities that are yeah. going to be blessing all of us and we're going to be receiving from them yeah. for eternity. Yeah. Yeah, and every bit of those incapabilities, every bit of physical weakness like makes life more difficult in this world. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they persevered in faith through that is yes. is an even greater measure of faith uh in some ways. And you know, um, our pastor, you know, just got through the Beatitudes in a sermon series. And like, I just think about how Jesus described as blessed those we would describe as weak uh, in so many, yeah. in so many ways. And the apostle Paul, I, I just think about, you know, he would have been in, he'd probably been in physical good shape in some ways because he walked everywhere. But mm-hmm. the descriptions we have of him, the only one we have from history, he was not a stud. And, um, and you think about, the sufferings he received. I remember John Piper mentioning this, like beaten with rods, the the broken bones he would have had that probably weren't set right. And then mm-hmm. being receiving 39 lashes multiple times, like having your back completely ripped open and then you have to lay there and heal and there's no modern antibiotics, you know, um, the infections he would have got, just the mass of scars. And he even says, you know, he's criticized because his appearance was not strong. Um, mm-hmm. He he looked weak, not just in his physical appearance, but his ministry, his, his speaking ministry was considered to be weak. And, uh, and he was afraid. He said, I showed up in fear and trembling. And I don't think he's like exaggerating. He, I, I think of him like mm-hmm. literally shaking as he's proclaiming the gospel because he's afraid. And, and then he has this thorn in his side, which uh, there's, you know, there's hints in the Bible that maybe he had poor eyesight, um, mm. maybe affected from his conversion when he was blind, but he, he writes in big letters and he says the Galatians would have given them, given him their eyes if they could have gouged them out. And he's begging for this, thorn in his side to be taken away. And God says, no, because my power is perfected in weakness. You know, my grace is sufficient mm-hmm. for you. And um, I think that's why every instance of any kind of weakness, um, including physical weakness, we should be um, we should be going, okay, this is an opportunity for yeah. God, to, God to show off his strength. It's, yeah. It's, I, I know you and I have talked about this in real life too, but you know, I like to garden and I, as I learned more about how to help a plant grow more abundant blooms, I was like shocked to find out what you have to do is basically like cut it off when it's a seedling. Like you have to Mm. make that plant weak at a very vulnerable time in its growth in order Mm. to make it abundant in its uh, blooming. Mm. And so, you know, they call it um, pinching. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this this poor seedling, you know, has just gotten eight to 12 inches off the ground and, and you come out to your garden and you're like, finally, there's mm-hmm. some growth here. Let me get my scissors out and <laughs> cut it back even further. Like it is the worst. Oh. 
feeling as a gardener because you're like, I have waited a month for these things to come out of the ground. And like, I've checked every day and now I'm supposed to cut them. And I remember the first year I did it, I only cut half of them because I was like, what if this doesn't work? (laughs) And, you know, I don't want to lose all my blooms, but, you know, sure enough, in the long run, the ones that Mm. I cut back grew bigger. Mm. And the ones that I let just kind of like keep going, they kind of hit a a max, like an end of their life, and they did not produce as Mm. much fruit. And so I think there's, you know, some verses to that end in John of, you know, the vines that... Bear fruit. uh, The vine dresser cuts back the vines that... I don't know. He 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 comes in, right? And yeah. he's clipping the vines that are connected to him because that will cause those vines to bear yeah. more fruit. He's yeah. pruning them. Um and that's really true of of our lives and I I don't like it when that principle plays itself out in my life. That's yeah. not fun. Yeah. But honestly, that gives me a lot of hope when I'm facing something that I feel like is like God cutting off something in my yeah. life and it's it's wow. painful, but it's good. Oh, that is such a good metaphor and illustration that, you know, he, the vine dresser does prune the vines that, well, the branches that are bearing fruit, you know, yes, he cuts yes. off and removes those that don't, but he prunes those yeah. that are. And we get to those points in life, like so often I'll hear people say like, I don't know why I'm suffering again. I guess maybe I still haven't learned the lesson the Lord has for me. And it could be uh, you you went through a suffering and you bore the fruit of faith. Like you yes. learned the lesson, like you succeeded in it. And now God is cutting you again because you bore th- fruit so that wow. you can bear more fruit. It's not because you failed. It might actually be because you succeeded. Like you're being sanctified. And so he's giving you he's he's causing you to abide in him more and draw more from him in faith and oh man that's a lesson i could i could learn a lot <laughs> a lot more from <laughs> well i know that you and i are going to get to discuss this a lot more in in real life uh but our time is is coming to an end for uh this podcast episode um emily where can people find you um if they want to connect with you on online. Yeah. Um, you can find me at Emily A. Jensen on Instagram or emilyajensen.com and all the links to all the things are there. Yeah. And Emily, I, I just want to say publicly before we um before we hang up on this conversation, I, I'm just I'm very proud of you. Um, I know I didn't have anything to do with what God's doing through you. Like, I don't mean proud, like, (laughs) look what I made. I just mean like, I know you as a person and I'm just so thankful and proud of you for what God is doing in and through you. And, um, and I'm particularly, and I want to say this so that listeners can know they can trust you as they go to you and your resources and your presence online. I want to thank you for, like, I don't see any disjunction, like any difference between the Emily I see in your books and on your podcasts and online than the Emily I know in real life. Like, I feel like you're the real deal. And, um, and 
And that is so refreshing and good. And I know listeners, uh, we don't we don't often get to see the real life of the people that we read and and are ministered to by. And sometimes we end up being disappointed by who they actually are. And um, that's not happening with you. And so I praise Jesus for that because I know that's his His work in you. Um, wow. So, uh, Thanks. It's, you know, it's hard for me to receive praise or like receive um, nice words, but yes, I receive that. I know Thank that. You. <laughs> you are more than welcome. <laughs> Listeners, the book is, uh, what is the book? He is Strong, <laughs> Devotions for When You Feel Weak. I, I forget the titles and subtitles to my own books, okay. but pick this book up. Um, it will, it's short, accessible devotions for when you feel weak. Um, what are there? Are there 30 in the book? There's um, 30. Yeah. And then after you're done reading that, you need to pre-order Eric's book on weakness to get all your last questions <laughs> answered because he goes through the whole systematic theology uh, of weakness through the whole Bible. This is the application. <laughs> These are the application chapters to the book that I wrote. Um, mine's a theological tome. Like it might be overwhelming for a person who's feeling weak, but this mm. this book is really good scriptural gospel application to um, just to give readers a preview. It's it's things like um, when you feel bad at life, when you feel like you're an imposter, when you're waiting for something, uh, when you're super tired, when your mind is fading, uh, when you're uh, when you want to be the best, uh, when you put yourself out there, uh, when you're at capacity. Um, it's all sorts of things like that. And uh, it just hits from every angle. And so you'll be able to pick the book up, turn to the table of contents and find the place that you're at. And um, when you chicken out, ooh, I, I like that one. <laughs> I find myself there a lot. Been there. Yeah, been there, done that. So uh, Emily, again, thank you. And thank you guests uh, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, that was a wonderful conversation. I do love that dynamic, the dynamic between pastor and parishioner on some level. And yet mm-hmm. Emily's also, because of her experience, ministering to and imparting so much to Eric and that. And then obviously to all of us who were listening to that, that was just an incredible, incredibly insightful I, conversation. I I, what you were saying too earlier, Davey, about Eric drawing out questions. He thinks of questions I wouldn't think to ask. And yeah. so I appreciate his perspective. And maybe it is because of his pastoring background or just how yeah. he, his personality. But I appreciate the questions that he pulls out and that he was the person that kind of gave Emily the nudge to write the devotional, yeah. um, the, you know, about weakness. And um, so that was really interesting. I would love to hear, Davey, just your perspective on, so she's a mom. She, she, you know, she's juggling motherhood, and she's got the layer of juggling uh, a child with medical challenges, right, um, right. and all that that comes with. And I remember at one point in the episode, she mentioned that she would just feel so tired after yeah. doing some of the medical stuff for her son, like specifically appointments and things, and she couldn't really figure out why. Like this, mm. it's just something on her to do. I've got to take my child to the doctor. Why is right. it? depleting her. And she finally was able to call it grief. 
Mm. Um, because she was having to acknowledge what her son was going through, what their family was going through, um, and the losses that all of that unveiled. And so just the idea of, we talk a lot about trauma. We talk a lot about pain and grief in our stories, but what is it like to navigate with the gospel in mind, ongoing grief? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, that's what it, you know, you can almost categorize it in a couple of ways. You've got, when it comes to grief or trauma or pain, we obviously talk about big T tragedy or little t trauma. Little t trauma can be this accrual, right? Um, But even when we talk about that little t trauma, as opposed to big T tragedy being an event or an isolated moment that you're now recovering from, Mm -hmm. when we talk about little t trauma or there's a couple of categories within that. And I think this is one of those, right? It's this, these, these seasons or in, on some level, maybe even a lifetime of dealing with pain that as far as you know, on this side of eternity is not going to be, um, uh, it's not going to be finalized or healed. You're not going to emerge from it. No. And I think, <clears throat> Truthfully, you know, you and I both in our stories, that's not been, that's not our experience. Mm -hmm. So it it would be very difficult for me to actually speak with authority on that side of things outside of like, okay, let's look at what scripture says and let's try to, let's try to take the truth of scripture and, and apply it the best that we can in situations like this. So my empathy level for, uh, someone who's experiencing an ongoing, or as what scripture would say, long suffering kind of pain is extremely high. Um, and because I'm just, I'm like, man, I, I can't imagine. You know, I think about one of the things that we talk about in the Pain to Purpose course is Martin Seligman, who's a popular psychologist. He, he says, if you, if you slip into certain mindsets, it will uh, cause you to get stuck in your pain. And one of those mindsets is the mindset of permanence, meaning this is how it's always going to be. And when you are in a situation where it does seem like, for all intents and purposes, this is how it's always going to be, you are a lot more susceptible to carrying that kind of despondence or depression. I mean, scripture says, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. So if you have this hope that like God's going to deliver me out of this, Mm -hmm. but you're not experiencing that, it can cause your heart to grow sick. It can cause your heart to get very um, depressed and despondent in those situations. And so I think on, um, on some level, there's no matter what kind of grief you're going through, there's an element of having to look at the reality of your situation um, and, and face the fullness of it and say, okay, I'm going to accept this, Right. I'm going to accept that this is my, because part of what I've experienced in just the small kind of things where I'm like, man, I want to, it, you know, where I feel my heart growing sick or it's, I'm, you know, the hope deferred kind of thing is because I am hoping that there's going to be a moment where I'm pulled out of this. And so from what I've heard from, you know, I, I know that with Vanitha Reisner, we've done a couple of conversations on delivering grace versus sustaining grace. Part of it, receiving the sustaining grace that God wants to make available to us in long suffering is accepting and receiving, okay, this is, this is my, my lot in life. This is what I've been stewarded. And 
God, I, I am so weak in this. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but again, it's in my weakness that your strength is made perfect. And I know that you can sustain me through this. I mean, I think back to our conversation with Johnny Erickson Tata. Yep. You know, so a couple of years ago where she she mentioned she talked about that, right? Where it was like, I mean, you're talking about for for a majority of her life, yep. some intense pain and suffering and compounding pain and suffering on top of her paralysis. And it's just um you know, to hear someone like that say, God is more concerned with the well-being of my soul than he is with the well-being of my body. To hear the echoes of scripture where, you know, Paul says, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed by day, renewed day by day. And so what that means is that that cognitive dissonance that happens in situations of long suffering, where we go, man, I feel like I am just outwardly ex- exhausted, expend- expended. I don't know, you know, I'm feeling hopeless about the situation. You can experience that physically in the flesh standpoint and at the same time experience this renewal of your spirit. And those two are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. A renewal of your spirit does not only come on the coattails of you beginning to see God leading you through your valley and out of your valley. Does that make sense? A renewal of your spirit can happen simultaneous to you being like, I mean, I'm I'm struggling in this present circumstance. Yeah. And I think that's where God's grace begins to invade it mm. is sustaining grace where when you finally come to terms and go, okay, God, I understand this is what I've been stewarded. It is well with my soul, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I'm gonna I'm gonna walk this path. I'm not gonna try in my mind to fantasize or have an escapism mentality or whatever about how I could get out of it. I'm gonna just walk this path faithfully. And um, and I think there's some level of a test that we pass in that, mm-hmm. where the I don't want to promise this by any means, but I've I've experienced it when we when we finally re- accept that and we go, God kind of um, lifts us from from that, not pulls us out of it, but kind of He brings a little bit more levity in that as we walk we kind of stride on his grace, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. And he, I think a few things, all of that is so good because it's, it's lifting our eyes, you know, it's lifting our eyes to the King. It's lifting it. It's helping us to embrace the fullness of the gospel. Um, And I think when we feel so weak, like Emily talked about is it is borrowing the faith of someone who is, ahead of us in the journey. Yeah. It's borrowing yeah. the hope. It doesn't take away the physical pain you're walking through or your child or someone you love or some other ongoing pain. But it is there have been times in my life where I'm like, I don't have the faith for this and it or the mm-hmm. I don't have any hope. And you literally looking at someone who's a little further ahead in the story. I was actually thinking of Johnny Erickson Tata, Vanitha Reisner, and then also um, my friend Kelly Sykes was on the podcast. Mm-hmm, that's right. Who has a major, and I just was with her over the weekend, and just she has a hope that is so pervasive, and it's coming out of her yeah. own ongoing battle of her own grief, of loss of her health, if you missed yeah. that episode. And so, but I do think in those moments, it's like, lift our eyes, look to the King, look to the Savior, look to the one who brings comfort, and then also link arms with someone else who is battling it, you know, with a life worth emulating. You know, we want to find someone who you might not be, you know, you might not find 10 people, you might find one or two, but somebody who can say, 
I've been there. Yeah. And this is these are the verses that meant something to me that pulled me out of the miry clay, that pulled me out of despair into hope. Um I and I, I just want to say too, if this is your story, my heart goes out to you. Um, but there is hope. Yep. There is hope. That's so good. That's so good. I love that. Like borrowing someone else's faith when you don't have your own. Mm-hmm. There's so many, and I know you can cite so many examples in your own story, Amy, where there's some, but there's so many examples of when I had to do that, where I had to go and reach back and go, okay, if God can bring Elizabeth Elliot through what she, what he brought her through, he can bring me through it. If God can bring Corey Tenboom through, you know, and so like, this is why I think it's really important that we do um, not only hear the stories of our contemporaries, people on this podcast, people that we're, are alive right now, but also hear the stories of faithful saints and servants yes. who have gone before us. Yes. They are a cloud of witnesses. This is what Hebrews tells us, right? As we're running this race, there is a cloud of witnesses yes. who can testify to the fact that, hey, keep going, right? And, and one of the things that's comforting within that as well is... <clears throat> Scripture tells us that there are saints all over the world who are experiencing the same kinds of sufferings that we're experiencing. And so when you can lock arms in that way, now we're exhorting each other, right? Exhorting means to call to one side. We're encouraging each other. We're stirring each other up, spurring each other on toward love and good deeds in the midst of our long suffering. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to pretend to understand Mm -hmm. what it feels like to be in a situation like Emily is in, or I have friends who also have, you know, some very difficult situations with special needs kids. And, but, you know, there's, but, you know, each one of us, Christy and I talk about this sometimes, it's like each one of us at some point in our life find that there is a, a story or a pain that God is asking us to steward. We don't, we don't choose what that is, but life somehow life's, for all of us. <laughs> yes. Jesus said it, right? In this world, you will have trouble. Yeah. There, there, there's nobody that, that leaves this world unscathed by the curse of sin, by the fallout of the brokenness of this world. And so in that, the way that we, the way that we um, get wrapped up in the grace of God is by receiving it, walking in it, and going, all right, Lord, I'm going to trust you to be strong where I'm weak. And it's such, such a great reminder from Emily it is. Um, in this conversation. You know, we we want to help you do that here at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. That's what our goal, our aim, our crusade is. We want to help you walk through whatever story you are walking through right now. And we believe wholeheartedly that you can take back your story. That does not mean that you're going to somehow magically be pulled up out of your valley. That's not what that means. That's what we've talked about. In fact, that's one of the, I think one of the distinguishing factors, Amy, about our ministry is that we're not going to go, we're not going to give you platitudes or empty promises that says, oh, God's promised to pull you out of your pain. No, <laughs> no he's promised to walk with you in your pain. That's right. To see you through it. And that you're going to, there's going to be a level of you becoming an enhanced version of yourself as you walk with him in the middle of the valley. And in that, you don't have to be afraid, as Psalm 23 tells us. And so we want to help you with that. We have a, we have a, a Zoom call that I lead um, every so often, usually about once a month or so, uh, called Five Steps to Taking Back Your Story. I would love for you to register for that next one if you haven't attended that. 
it's an opportunity for us to um, have some interaction. Um, it's an actual Zoom call. It's it's not just like a webinar. Sometimes we do them as a recorded. Sometimes we do them live. But the next one is um, coming up here soon. So we'd like for you to jump on to that one. Nothingiswasted.com slash start here where you can register for the five steps to taking back your story no matter what you're going through Zoom call. And um, we also want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can download and stream all of his music anywhere music can be downloaded and streamed. Amy, tell us where everyone can follow Nothing Is Wasted Ministries on the socials. Yes, we would love for you to follow. If you have a favorite episode too, I just want to say it is super easy to share that with a friend. You can do it right from your phone. We would love for you to share even this conversation. If someone came to mind, share it with a friend. I do that. I'll be in the middle of listening to one of our episodes and I'll stop and send them out to some of my friends over text. Um, so uh, do that for us and it will be encouraging to your friends as well. You can follow us on Instagram at, no- at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries. You can follow Davey at Davy Blackburn. You can follow Aubrey at Obsamp. And you can follow follow Eric at EM Shoemaker. And you can follow me if you want to at this wholehearted life underscore. Yeah. Uh, we'd also love to invite you to to rate and review the podcast. We love hearing your stories on Apple Podcasts through the rating and reviewing system. So um, we'd love to hear that. Next week we've got a great conversation with Aaron and Jennifer Smith. Um, and I'm excited for you guys to hear this conversation. So go ahead and listen to a little snippet of our conversation with Aaron and Jennifer Smith. The moment you're willing to share and be like, I, you know what? I am, I am broken. I, I'm a sinner. I actually need help. I actually need to be reminded. I actually need to be told when I'm wrong. I actually, because I don't see it clearly myself. Once you can get to that point, you've actually all, that's when you've surrendered to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's the one convicting you in the first place. Wow. And then you take that next step of like, I I need to find people that are going to walk with me and help me in this because Mm -hmm. I need help. Mm -hmm. I think the forum matters too. So, you know, who your audience is, maybe if you're going through, walking through something really heavy and you do need to be able to share something about your spouse that you know probably isn't, um, like you said, an honorable thing. Don't say it in front of 20 people. Go pull one couple aside, go have dinner with them yeah. and say, make hey, we need, yeah, make it private, more intimate, um, especially for accountability purposes, because you don't need 25 people to keep you accountable. You just need one other couple or two other couples to say, hey, we're, we're going to walk through this with yeah, you. How's that thing you brought up? Yeah. How are you guys doing with that? <laughs>